You're listening to the sermon audio from Covenant Church at Tuscaloosa. Our prayers that this encourages you in the Lord. Thank you, Joseph. You can be seated. We're going to be looking uh, at our text today from Ephesians chapter 4. Verses 25 through 32, if you want to go ahead and be turning there or pulling your phones up or whatever you use, and if you need Bible, we, we do have Bibles up front, and you're certainly welcome to come get one. Uh, but before we get into our text, mothers, happy Mother's Day, and I want to uh, take a minute and and honor you today. I want to read a. Uh, I want to read from the second chapter of Luke. Uh, I want to read verses 34 and 35, in light of it being Mother's Day. And uh, the setting for this these verses is uh, Mary and Joseph have taken the Christ child to the temple to be dedicated, which was a a Jewish practice. Uh, and while they were there, a man named Simeon appeared, and uh, he began to worship the Christ child. And in verses 34 and 35, this is what Simeon says to Mary, the mother of Jesus. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and then he inserted this to Mary, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. I don't know how much that sank in with Mary when Simeon first said those words. I'm not sure that she really had a lot of understanding uh, when he said a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Then I want to look at John chapter 19, verses 25 through 27. The scripture says, Standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother." And his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Now notice this, mothers. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, isn't that amazing? It's worth reflecting on. The eternal Son of God was taking the sin of the world suffering in our behalf. Pain beyond description. He would even uh, be forsaken by his father as he took that punishment. And in that experience, Jesus spoke to his mother and said, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. 
Now, I don't know if she remembered the words of Simeon, but you can be assured when that mother stood there viewing the cross and saw her son, you can be assured her heart was pierced. There were other hearts pierced that day as the cross was viewed, but nobody's heart was pierced like Mary's heart. You know, I heard a preacher say many years ago that the call to be a pastor was the highest call that could be placed on a life and the hardest job a person could receive. But you know, as I think about the times I pierced the soul of my mother, as I've watched my children and grandchildren pierce the heart of their mother and their grandmother, and watched other mothers who had their heart pierced. I don't agree with that preacher. I think the highest call that there is that can be placed on anybody and the hardest job there is is the call and the job of being a mother. And so mothers, I want to honor you today. I want every mother, and this includes mothers who are expecting about to be a mother or bring birth, I want all of our mothers to stand up. Children, if you're near your mother, I want you to go stand by them. That's right, just go stand by them. If you get as close to them as you can. And if you see a mother here who doesn't have a child and you can, you go adopt your mother. <laughs> and stand by them, okay? All right. Mothers, I want to pray for you. But before I pray for you, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for the job that has done most of the time without any thanks. We appreciate you. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for mothers. I thank you for my mother. For all the prayers All the time she stayed faithful when her soul was pierced. And I thank you for these mothers here today. And the mothers to be. I know their soul has been pierced often. But I thank you, God, as they trust in Jesus that you are faithful. And your grace is sufficient. Lord, you alone know the deepest needs of every mother that stands before me today. And I pray, dear God, that your Holy Spirit would allow on this day when the world recognizes mothers, for these mothers especially, I pray that your Holy Spirit would bear witness with their spirit deep in their heart and soul. And they would know beyond a shadow of a doubt there's a God that loves them greatly. And that that God will be faithful to them. And that, Lord Jesus, you will never leave them and never forsake them. Thank you for our mothers, Lord. I ask now as we look to your word that your blood would wash me from sin. 
that you let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God. And glorify yourself in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, mothers. You can be seated. Our text today starts with the term, therefore. If I had to give it a title, the title would be, what are you going to wear today? Because the immediate context of that verse is the passage that Pastor Hank preached on last week, which pointed to the reality that as believers in Christ, we're charged to put off the old self that died with Christ and put on the new self that was raised with Christ. And they, those terms, put off and put on, in the original Greek would be terms that would be used literally to talk about somebody taking off one set of clothes and putting on another. You know, parents, and especially mothers, since I just honored you, have you ever, have you ever had a child question you when you told them to do something or told them not to do something. My uh, youngest granddaughter, when she was about from the age of maybe seven or eight up to probably the time she got 11 or 12 just within the last year, it didn't matter what you tell her to do or not to do, this is the response you got. Why? Why? You've probably had the experience of, of, you know, having to tell a child several times to do, do, do this and that, and the child responded, well, why, Mama? Why? Why? Why, Daddy? Well, you know, as children, we need to obey our moms and dads, regardless if they give us a reason or not. We don't need a why. They're placing authority over us. And as believers in Christ, we really don't need to ask God why he tells us to do something and why he tells us not to do something. But the reality is that generally, if we know the reason that we're being told to do something or not to do something, and that reason is good, we're more likely to be obedient, aren't we? And in our text today, God gives us some don'ts and some do's in putting off the old self and putting on new self. But he also graciously gives us the reason that he tells us not to do something, and he tells us to do something. And the first truth is this in our text, that being placed in Christ, when we come to faith in Christ, when we're placed in Christ, as we were taught during the first three chapters of, this, of, of Ephesians, being placed in Christ is being placed in a body. Being placed in Christ involves being placed in a body. Look at verse 25 in our text today, Ephesians 4. It says this, it says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Now, folks, we can tell a lie in a lot of different ways than just telling an out-and-out -out lie. And usually we lie, we're tempted to lie, because we fear the consequences of telling the truth. Or we desire to make somebody else take the blame for something we know we did. Or we may even tell a lie when we're trying to make ourselves look better than somebody else. And we can tell a lie by actually telling the truth but not telling all the truth. And leave the door open for folks to, to buy in to a lie. 
and we call them half-truth, your little white lies, but call them anything you want to, a lie is a lie. And most people know, even non-believers, from a moral standpoint, their conscience tells us, you know, it's wrong for me to tell a lie. But God says for those of us who know Christ, there's a more important reason not to lie and tell the truth, and here it is. He says because we are members one of another. We are, as believers, we're members of the body of Christ. We don't have time to read the whole passage because it deals with this idea, this truth of us making up the body of Christ. But I want to read some, just some select verses from 1 Corinthians 12. I think they'll, they'll, they'll be up on, on the screen. And, and it says this, in, starting in verse 14 and then going through verse 26. Just, just some select phrases and truths. says this, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. Isn't that something? What that, what that says, that truth is that we don't become a member of the body of Christ just by chance. We're placed there. It's God's choice to put us. And, and not only is it the body of Christ as a whole, folks, but you're, if you're a, a covenant partner here at Covenant Church, God chose to place you in this particular local body. And then it goes on to say, God has so composed the body that there may be no division in the body, catch this, but that the members may have the same care for one another. We're to care for each other. And we're to have the same care. And we're, have, we're to have the same care for every member in the body. We're not just supposed to care about those that that we particularly like or, or, or that impresses us or that we have a natural chemistry for, but we're to care for every member in the body of Christ. And then, then lastly says this, that passage says this, if one member suffers, all suffer together. You see, folks, when a believer tells a lie and is untruthful to another believer or tells an untruth about another believer, the whole body suffers because we're codependent, we're, we're, we're dependent on each other as members in the body of Christ. We affect each other. For instance, let me say, and this is kind of a way out example, but let's say that, let's say that the members of our physical body each had their own brains and their own will, okay? Let's, for instance, let's say, let's say that my right leg had a will and a brain of its own and my left leg had a will and a brain of its own. Okay, and let's say it's time for me to get off the stage, and my right leg said, okay, left leg, it's time for us to get Dolan off the stage. And the right leg said, I'm going to take the lead, and I'm going to step out first. And the left leg says, okay, but he's lying. Then what's going to happen is when this right leg starts to get off the stage and that left leg is told to lie and it don't move, you know what's going to happen? I'm going to end up on my face, see? And I know that's a way out example, but folks, that's the way it is with the church. When we line or in truthful with each other, it breaks the trust that we have in each other. It, it, it affects our effectiveness as the body of Christ. And not only does it affect our effectiveness to move as God leads and guides us, but it also affects our attractiveness when we lose trust within the body of Christ. And so God says, 
In fact, he even assumes, the way the text reads, it assumes that we've already put off falsehood because of the work that Christ has done in our heart. So being placed in Christ is being placed in the body. But second, our text tells us that being placed in Christ is being placed in a battle. Look at verses 26 and 27. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now notice the text assumes that we're going to be angry. There are going to be times when we're angry. And sometimes that anger is justified. And it's not the anger necessarily that's the sin. It's the response we have to anger that is either of the old self or of the new self. For instance, as believers, it's right. It's just for us to be angry at abortion. Why? Because the scripture plainly teaches the sanctity of a human life. And it also teaches us that murder is wrong. And I know there are cases, now don't get me wrong, don't go out and I know there are cases where the mother's life is in danger and decisions have to be made. But abortion, just for the choice of not having a baby, folks, is murder. And it violates the sanctity of life. And we should be angry at it. That's not sinful. But if we go down to the gas station and get us two or three gallons of gas and get us a box of matches and we go down to the abortion clinic and throw gas on the abortion clinic and set it on fire, that is sin. Why? Because that's a, that's a sinful reaction and a wrong response to anger. The other thing our text tells us about anger is not only put it off, but it says deal with our anger as soon as is possible. That's what's meant by saying don't let the sun go down. Now listen, I wish I could tell you, I'll soon be married, I'm about, I'm about to be celebrating my 49th anniversary in a few months, and I wish I could tell you that every time me and Miss Vicky had a spat and a fight and a fuss, that we got it settled before we went to bed, before sundown. I wish, it, and, it, and if you've been married quite a while and you've been able to do that, I need to see you after the service because I need some counsel and I need some points and so forth. We haven't been able to do that. But I can tell you this, that the longer, sin, the longer anger does not get handled in a healthy, correct manner, the worse things are going to be. Okay? It's unhealthy. Now, why is that so? Because anger stirs up our bodies. It stirs up our minds. When we get angry, there's chemical changes that take place in us. There's emotional changes that take place. And God placed that particular ability in us for protection. Okay? If somebody, when we're to put off anger, that doesn't mean that we're to let folks run over us and destroy us. You know, if, if somebody comes up to me after the service and slaps me in the face, I'm, I'm probably going to get angry, you know. And that's okay, but i got to watch what I do after that, okay? Today is Mother's Day. Let's think about that. Today is Mother's Day. If you want to see some justifiable, real anger, you mess with one of Mama's babies, and you're going to see Mama anger real quick, okay? God placed that within that mother to protect 
her children. And so it's not that all anger is a sin, it's what we do with it, and we need to deal with it as soon as we can. Why? God tells us, give no opportunity to the devil. See, if we don't deal with anger right, if we don't deal with it biblically and spiritually, it deals with us. Unresolved anger festers, it brews up in our mindset, and it makes, listen, it makes us vulnerable to Satan's tactics. Unresolved anger zaps us of our joy. It puts us in a state of discontentment and bitterness. And it happens when we experience disappointment and harm. And if we don't repent, it'll eventually end up in hatred. And Jesus had a lot to say about that in Matthew 5, 21, 22. Listen to what Jesus said. He says, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But listen to what Jesus says. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council and catch this. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. You see the progression of what anger can cause in you? It just keeps building if it's not dealt with. And it ends up in destruction. When we're placed in Christ, folks. We're placed in a spiritual battle with the devil. He's real. You know, sadly to say, most of us believers, we don't take, we don't take Satan serious enough. He's a real being. And he's a liar. And his sole desire is to dishonor the glory of God. And his strategy is always to tempt us, listen, in our weakest, most vulnerable moments. 1 Peter 5, 8 says this. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. A lion, when it's stalking a prey, it looks at a herd. And it'll watch that herd, and it's looking for a member of that herd that either has a limp or is a little slower than the rest of the herd, that's vulnerable. And that's the prey that, 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 that the lion's going to go after. And Satan's the same way. When he looks at us as believers in Christ, he's looking for a moment when we're weak and when we're headed towards sin and we're vulnerable. And that's, that's when he attacks. So the, the, the healthy way to deal with anger is to confess it, turn from it in repentance, and let the blood of Christ cleanse you and restore you to fellowship with God. Even when you've attempted to solve conflict, even if the other party that's offended you doesn't do what they're supposed to, you can rest in Christ. And you can let him deal with your emotions and so forth and give you help. Okay? Being placed in Christ is being placed in a battle. And the third truth we see from our text is that being placed in Christ is being placed in a bank. Look at verse 29. Let no corrupting talk, excuse me, did the same mistake in the first service. Verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now, I know some of you sitting out there and saying, I don't, that's, pretty much, that's a stretch to say a bank. You're trying to use alliteration and have everything start with a B. Well, 
do this if you think I'm being wrong. When you get home, look in your dictionary and look up the word bank. And what you'll find out is that the English word bank does not only refer to a lending institution that loans money and gives you a checking account. A bank is a reserve, a treasury of any kind that's built up to help folks in need. For instance, here in West Alabama, we have a what? Food bank. And what does that food bank do? It stocks up food that's been given to provide a need for folks that can't buy groceries and don't have a meal and so forth. And that's the, the use that I'm using the word for today. Now, just like I said about lying, folks, we can steal in a lot of ways other than physically going and taking something that belongs to somebody else when they're not looking and stealing it. We can steal by falsifying our tax returns. We can steal by making deals under the table. We can steal while we're at work, when we're on the clock and we're supposed to be working, and we go hide somewhere in a closet or something so we can get on our cell phone. Some folks have even been known to go hide and take a nap when they were getting paid to work. That's stealing. You're getting paid to work. You're not getting paid to sleep. Be on your cell phone. So there's, there's a lot of ways. And when we, listen, when we fail to pay merchants that's extended credit to us, we're stealing from those folks. And that's a terrible testimony, folks, for a Christian not to pay their bills. And, you know, you say, well, I'm just in a straight. Well, listen, at least go to the person you owe and tell them, say, look, I'm in a bind. I had this misfortune. I can't pay you right now. But as soon as I get it, I'm going to pay you something. And you know what? Most everybody in that situation will work with you and understand. But there's a lot of ways to, to steal, okay? And God's intended for us not to have to steal. He says, do honest work. Now, listen, folks, work, some people think that, that work is a result of the fall and, and the caused by sin that happened in the garden, but, but that's not so. Let's look, let's look for a minute. If you want to turn your Bibles there, this, this won't be on the screen, I'm sure. Genesis chapter 1, I want to read verses 28 and 29 and listen to this in this light of doing honest work verse 28 says and God blessed them talking about Adam and Eve man woman and God said to them be fruitful and multiply now in case you know what that means that means go out and have babies and let the babies have babies okay that's the way to be fruitful and multiply mankind be fruitful and multiply but listen to this and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant-yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. Listen, work was intended from day one. God said, go out and subdue the land. Go out and work the land. Have dominion over it. Take care of it. Work. Why? Because as the, as, as the earth multiplied, there would be a need, more needs, more needs for food. Okay? And so work was intended by God. Now, work got harder. Work got harder when mankind sinned. Because God said, now there's going to be thistles and there's going to be briars and he even said the woman's going to have pain in childbirth, pain that God did not intend. But work was an intention of God. Now, 
Why? So that we could meet the needs of folks. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 8, uh, verse 1, and, and, and let's think about this thing of, of meeting needs, this truth of meeting needs. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I want, I want to read verses 1 through 7, fairly lengthy passage, but I'll, I'll try to be quick. And what this passage deals with is how we're to give as God gives to us, why we're to do honest work, especially as believers. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning verse 1, says this. It says, we want, to know you, bro- we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So there's an example to the Corinthian church of how the Macedonian church had met needs. And here's what it says. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Now notice how they gave of their resources, folks. First of all, our text says that though they were in poverty, they abounded in joy. They gave joyfully. Second, our text told us that they gave according, but yet beyond their means. They gave sacrificially. And then the text says they gave themselves first to the Lord. They gave worshipfully. It was an act of worship for them. And then finally, they were charged to excel. Why? Because it was an act of grace. They gave gracefully. You see, believers, here's God's plan. He's only had one plan all through, through creation. God's plan for God's people to meet the needs in the church and to meet the needs outside the church is for God's people to do honest work. And when they reap the benefits of that honest work, they are to give to the church to meet the needs of others. In fact, I'll go ahead and tell you this. God's intention never was for the government to have to take care of folks in need. God's intention was for the church to take care of people's needs. But because the church hadn't done what it should, now we've let it get in the hands of government and look at the mess we're in, okay? So we're to give back to God what is his to start with anyway as we're, we've been made new in Christ. When we're placed in Christ, we're placed in the bank. And then finally, being placed in Christ is being placed in a building. Now let's read verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. As believers being placed in Christ is being placed in a building. We're part of an ongoing construction project. Look back at Ephesians chapter 2. This, this, I think, will be up on the screen for you. Ephesians chapter 2, we've, we've already journeyed through that. But let me reread it to you, verses 19 through 22. Look what it says. 
So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Look at this. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, that's the scripture, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone that keeps everything straight and plumb, in whom the whole structure being joined together, look at this, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built, notice, together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The construction project that's going on is the building of a temple, a living building where God dwells. And this temple, this construction is not built with brick and mortar, but with living stones. As living stones, all believers are to be a part of the building at this, of this temple by strengthening fellow believers and proclaiming the good news of Christ to others through our behavior and our words. And we're charged in doing this not to use corrupting talk. The English word that's translated corrupting there comes from a Greek term that means rotten, that means putrid. It's a term that would be used to describe fruit that has sat too long and it's decayed and it's no longer fit to eat and it begins to have a smell. Like, uh, uh, this comes to my mind as I say that my daughter's here today and back before she got married when she was still at home where she should be, uh, me and her, we, we, we would occasionally, we'd get up and go work out in the mornings uh, at a gym. And a lady in the church had given me some tomatoes from her garden. And, and, and I, had set, I had set them on the seat of my car, and I was in the car by myself that Sunday when I, when I left. And without me knowing it, when I got home, I gathered up what I thought was all the tomatoes, but one of them had rolled under the seat of the car. And I noticed about a week or two later, my car seemed to have a funny smell in it. And I looked, and I called myself checking and cleaning, doing everything I could. And one day, Faith got up with me to go work out that morning. When she got in the car, she said, we got, up, we got to the gym. She said, Daddy, what is that smell? You know, I said, you know, Faith, I've been noticing I can't find it. Well, Faith couldn't put up with it. So she got down on her knees and looked at and one of those tomatoes had rolled up under the seat of that car and had been sitting there for over two weeks. You're talking about putrid, folks. You're talking about corrupting smell. Oh, it was something. Well, that's what God says happens when we use the wrong words with fellow believers. When we speak down to other believers in a judgmental attitude, when we're impatient with other believers, when we're impolite in our conversation with other believers, we're using corrupting, rotten talk. And instead, we're to use encouraging words. We need to use words that build up others in their faith. Even, listen, even when we have to speak to a brother or sister in a corrective manner. I, I made a mistake in the, in, the, in the first service this morning, my message, and I had two brothers come up to me, and they confronted me with it and I was thankful but they did it in a way that was gracious and truthful and you know what I thanked them and I said I appreciate that I needed to be told that and that's the way we're to do with grace in love build folks up listen to what Luke 4 22 
says about Jesus. It says, And all spoke well of him, talking about Jesus. And listen to this. And marveled. They were in awe at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? Jesus was known among the multitudes. He spoke the truth. And, oft, and often he had to speak with, with very strict and serious matters. Jesus talked about hell. Jesus talked about sin. But even when he did, the verse says he spoke in a way that people realized there was a gracious heart behind it. And that's the way we should be, is we should speak to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And listen, and speak to those out in the world in a gracious manner. Well, we're going to close by looking at verses 30 and 31 and 32 to give us an application for today's text. Let's look at verse 31st. It says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, catch the seriousness of that, folks. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Do you, you understand what that verse says? That verse says, listen, that God who is almighty, God who is all-powerful, God who does not get on an emotional roller coaster like you and I, he's the same today, yesterday, and forever, God who is steady and constant, even in his omnipotence, even in his all-knowing, even in his holiness, listen, as powerful as God is, you and I as believers in Christ have within our power the ability to grieve the Spirit of God. And that word grieve means the same thing it does to me and you folks. It's the pain, the heartbrokenness that we feel when we lose somebody that's a loved one. The Bible says we can do the same thing to the Spirit of God. We can cause him sorrow. We can break his heart. We can hurt him as his children. We can grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And our text challenges don't do that. And so how do we keep from grieving the Holy Spirit of God? Well, verse 31 and verse 32 tells us, look at verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Do you notice how that verse progresses? It starts out with bitterness. It moves to wrath. It moves to unrighteous anger. It moves to clamor, it moves to slandering somebody, and it ends up with all malice. All e malice is evil thoughts, hateful thoughts, hateful actions. And we're to put that away as followers of Christ. We're to put off the attitudes and the actions of the old self. Don't listen. Here's the application. If you're a believer in Christ, don't go digging up the grave and putting on those rotten clothes that you were delivered from. And you can do that with the help of God. You can only do it with His help, but with the a, with a, with a power of the Spirit who lives within you. Let God lead you. Surrender to His will. Don't go dig up those old clothes and put them on. They stink. And they look bad. And they're harmful and they hurt your testimony. Put them off. And that second application is found in verse 32. 
Be kind to one another. Huh. Be kind. Christians ought to be kind people. The world out there is under so much pressure and there's so much unhappiness and there's so much discontentment and you see so much unkindness. But doesn't it make a difference when somebody is kind to you? You know, I went to pick up uh, Vicky a Mother's Day present yesterday and I didn't have a lot of time and I really didn't know where to look and I, I thought I knew where it was in the store and I couldn't find it and I looked all over and I, I, was, I, need, I was needing to get it done and get on something else and I saw two girls in the store and I figured they worked there because they had little badges on and I went up to them and I said, I said, ladies, I know y'all are busy. They were putting up stocks. I said, I know y'all are busy, but could, could you point me in the right direction? Listen, I told them what I mean. They didn't point me. They said, sir, come let us show you. And they took me to the end of the aisle where it was. And then they, I told them what I was looking for. And they began to help me look because this, this stack of stuff I was looking at, it was 10 foot tall and, and it was just rows and rows of stuff and I looked and I couldn't find the color and I couldn't find the size I needed but they were right there in fact one the girl the way I ended up with it one of the girls got up on a ladder and looked on top of them I thanked them I said bless your heart have a blessed day like why because they were kind to me Christians ought to be kind people tender-hearted Listen, the world is full of hard-heartedness. You know that. But it's Christ. Listen, let the Spirit of God make our hearts tender with folks. Don't be hard-hearted. Be tender-hearted. And look at this last thing. So important. We wrap up with this. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Listen, folks. It's not a matter of are we going to be offended? Are we going to be hurt? Are we going to be mistreated? Are folks going to offend us? It's going to happen. It's the reality of life. But listen, if Jesus, if you don't, you can't take anything else away from here today, take this. If you're a believer in Christ, Can anybody do anything that's more than offense and worse than what my sin and your sin did to Jesus? When we're not forgiving people as people of God, we have either forgotten or we have failed to look in a while at how much God forgave us. Forgiven people, especially people forgiven by Jesus, can be people who forgive. And we can do it by faith. And we can trust the outcome of our offenses to God who knows all and sees all and is in control. And we can do that because Jesus will. Let's pray. <clears throat> every head bowed and every eye closed. It may be, I, I, I'm quite sure that most, most of you in this room today are believers in Christ. But there may be one here today who's wrestling with forgiving. Maybe you've been hurt, you've been offended, somebody's done something to you that cuts you real bad. 
and you just can't forgive. Well, that's understandable if you don't know Christ because it's hard to give forgiveness until you've experienced forgiveness yourself. And I just want to challenge you this morning and let you know the good news that you can have your sin, your offenses against God forgiven because Jesus took them on the cross and he offers forgiveness freely to all who will come to faith and trust him as Lord and Savior. There's no magic words to pray. It's no special act to do. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of believing that Jesus is who he said he was believing that he died on the cross and rose again, that he's the Savior and he alone can save and forgive your sins. And if you call out to him in your heart, you don't have to even do it verbally. But in your heart of hearts, you say, Lord, I need you as my Savior. Please forgive me. The Bible guarantees us that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But for us as believers, believers, please, let's don't put on those old clothes. With God's help, as much as we can, we'll fail, we won't be perfect, but as much as we can, let's wear the new clothes that were given to us when we were raised a new life in Christ. Dear God, thank you for the truth of your passage this morning. Thank you for your word. God, we won't change. We won't be what we should be outside of the power of your spirit. So God, help us to be obedient. Worship you, Lord, and submit to your, your do's and your don'ts so that you can be magnified in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'd like to thank you for listening to the sermon audio from Covenant Church at Tuscaloosa. If you have any questions or would like to know more about our church, you can visit our website at www.covchurchtusk.com or you can email info at covchurchtusk.com. God bless.